Good morning. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We, I plan to look at many passages this morning. I pray that you would speak through them. We ask you to challenge us, lead us on in our journey with you. Help us to become more like Jesus through what you will do in us this morning through your word. So I do pray, Lord, you would make manifest in me the gifts required to do the task you've given me to teach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And Genesis says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 7 says, All the labour of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Our new series we are beginning in both the morning and the evening service, the same message, probably with a little, a few changes, will be preached morning and night. So just a heads up, if you come at night, you'll get a, another version of the same message um, in the morning. Uh, this is about, this series is about the soul in church world. We talk about saving souls. We don't often talk about our soul. You and I have a soul. It's the most deeply integrated part of us. It's who we are. And our soul is needy. Our soul is hungry. Our soul craves constantly. It pants for satisfaction. It's designed to be satisfied by God our souls can be lost, disintegrated and neglected. John Wesley lived in the 1700s and uh, he was uh, greatly used by God as an evangelist. But his lasting legacy was the church, the denomination that he founded that we now know as Methodists, the Methodist church. They're called Methodists because the early Wesleyans had a model for discipleship and it was meeting in small groups. It really was a, a precursor to the whole small group movement that we are aware of today. When the Methodists would meet together in their small groups, the method of discipleship was based around this question, how goes your soul? How goes your soul? Of course, these days, if you go up to someone after this service and you say, how goes thy soul, sister? How goes your soul, brother? You might wonder what um, the person is really doing or, or on. But let me ask you the question, how is your soul? How this morning goes your soul? I think many of us would struggle to know how to answer that question 
And we would struggle largely because the idea of the soul, our understanding of the soul has very much gone out of fashion, certainly with biblical translators. When the King James Version of the Bible was put together, it contained 533 occurrences of the word soul. The New King James Version came out and they thought, let's cut that back a bit. There were 369 occurrences of the word soul. The NIV has 136 occurrences and the New Living has 88. It's an interesting um, process, isn't it? We have moved away from using the word soul, but it's there in our Bibles, in the Hebrew and the Greek text. So over the next seven weeks, we are going to look at the seven needs of the soul. And this morning, I'd like to look at really an overview. I mean, it's under the label of the soul's identity. But really, it's probably an an overview of the soul due to the fact that not many of us have thought too much about what it really is um, when it comes to my soul. Firstly, I want to suggest that our soul not only exists, but it needs care. It needs care. The book of Hebrews in 13 verse 7 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The old name for a pastor used to be the curate of souls. The curate of souls. We have a soul and it requires care. In fact, our souls need to know their worth. In a couple of months, I imagine, Lord willing, many of us will be singing some Christmas carols and um, one of those carols may well be, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Saviour's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared. And what happened? The soul felt its worth. Not its guilt. The soul felt its worth. It's the prayer of all of our kids' ministry team, of our youth ministry team, that the young people that God gives us to look after would know that they are human beings whose souls have worth. Amen? We, we, at this church, surely we believe that there are no pairs of eyes you'll ever look into in your life who don't represent a soul who has infinite worth. The soul felt its worth. How do you care for your soul? A couple of years ago, uh, the head of the Baptist ministry team, the Baptist, what used to be called the Baptist Union, Ken Clendinning, sent out a book on leadership. It was by a lady by the name of Ruth Barton. And uh, Ruth has been in ministry for many years and runs a retreat centre. And she spoke of getting to know your own soul. Now, as I say this, um, I'm aware, depending on... um, your background, what denomination you've been part of, even hearing the word soul 
could be a charged word for you, a bit of a buzzword. And I've noticed, <coughs> I've noticed um, people with a more charismatic Pentecostal background can hear the word soul and equate it to flesh. So you have that which is of the spirit and you have that which is of the soul. It's soulish. And uh, when I've spoken of this before, people, oh, no, the soul's like a bad thing. I put that out to you as a challenge and so we'll see if you can find that in the Bible. I think the soul is not so much the flesh, but it's more what we'll talk about today. You also might think um, this sounds a little bit new agey. Um, I'm not certainly into new agey. Hopefully you've picked that up um, so far. But this was a, um, a book that I was uh, recommended to me by uh, um, Ken Clendinning. And this lady, um, Ruth Barton, talked about the fact that uh, it's hard to get to know your own soul. It's a hard thing to do, to get to know your own soul. Funny how many times in the Bible, we've heard it today, the psalmist says, Oh, my soul, worship the Lord. Have you ever wondered? Like, it's a strange use of language. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's as though... You're calling out to something that is you to do something. You know what I mean? It's, it's an odd thing. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's like the psalmist is, is actually deciding a decision of the will. Soul, you should do this. You should praise the Lord with all that you have. And, and Ruth Barton suggests that, that getting to know your own soul is a little bit like getting to know a wild animal. So when I say, you know, how's your soul, we, sometimes we might go, I don't really know what my soul is like. Well, imagine your soul is a bit like a wild animal. Um, and this afternoon you thought, I'm going to find out where that my soul is. Um, you go into the bush and you start yelling out, soul, soul, come here, soul. You don't, you don't tend to find your soul like that. Far more likely to use the time-honoured spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and meditating on God's word and stop and all of a sudden this wild animal comes up and you go, oh, who are you? I'm your soul. Now, I know I'm getting a bit trippy and please, I'm not thinking we have a separate, it's nothing like that, but it's just, it's just different ways to try to understand, is there a hidden Hard to find part of me that drives the way I react to people. Maybe, maybe some of us have a far more bruised soul than we know. Deep down, the real me, like, like that animal, needs to be found and cared for. I know it's a strange idea, but the soul needs to know its worth. In fact, we know from Scripture that our souls have infinite worth. The one and only perfect Son of God came and gave His life, shed His perfect blood for us because of the worth of our souls. And our souls need care. So, how do we best understand the soul? Oh, I want to suggest we, we, our souls need care and they also need integration. Jesus was once asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus answered the question by quoting a very important verse from the Old Testament. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. I think what um, Jesus was saying was to worship God correctly involves a complex relationship of the various faculties of who you are as a human being. And I think the soul integrates these aspects of our humanity. So let's think about what it means for us to be worshipping God with all of who we are. Well, at the core of a human being is the spirit, the heart, the will. And in fact, somewhat interchangeable words, it's the core of what makes me a person. Spirit is personal power. Now, that's probably getting a little bit philosophical, but think about how would you describe spirit? What is spirit? Spirit is personal power. It is very close to the idea of will. The will is what makes me a person and not a thing. That's why, have you ever stopped and thought about the power of the will? When somebody violates your will in whatever way, there is a profound loss of dignity. I don't want that to happen. Why is that so important for us? Because it's at the core of who we are as human beings that we have a will and it matters what we desire for. The will is precious. Now, we'd all like to think that our will is running the show in our lives, right? Our will runs the show. Does it run the show for you in your diet? Yeah, right. So the will has the power to run the show, but think about it. How do you go with lining everything up with your will when it comes to diet, when it comes to anger, when it comes to money, to sex? We have all kinds of expressions about this. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's a will word. Intention. We want to do certain things, but we find sometimes that our will isn't running the show. So at the core of actually a healthy soul, the will is lined up with God's will. There's, there's something really powerful going on there. But the will has to exercise itself through the mind. What we think about will determine where we head in our lives. In fact, the whole idea of repentance is less about just emotion. Repentance is a changing of the mind. I'm going to think differently about the world. We're told in Romans to renew our minds, that we could offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our true spiritual worship. And we'll talk more about this later, but we have, I'm trying to unpack what the, the, the soul is all about. We've got the will, which needs to come alive by the grace of God through the gospel. And then truth is applied through the mind, and it's very linked, but through the emotions. It's very hard to feel something without thinking about it. So our thoughts are very connected to our emotions. And the Bible has an enormous amount to say about our emotions and our anxieties. And they all come out through our body. My body is my little kingdom. And your body is your little kingdom. 
And uh, our bodies are terribly important because in, in the whole world of matter created by God, it's with one little blob that I get to have my empire reigning. I can sit back here and with the, my will and my mind and my emotions, I can think I'd really like to just move that pulpit. But I find the pulpit doesn't come under the reign of my will. But this thing, luckily, it's all working. My brain and my, my nervous system, and I say, I'd like to go over there, body, and my body does dutifully, comes over here. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth is he talking about? I hope this is going to make sense in a minute, because our bodies are incredibly important when it comes to our souls. Because it's, it's unhelpful when you, you think that your soul is just something that goes off to heaven. Our bodies are filled with all kinds of appetites and habits God intended that our bodies would serve and be subservient to our will and our mind. Have you found that sometimes the body gets that out of whack? The body's like, "Uh, no, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the loudest in this whole idea of a life. And whatever I want and I crave, I'm going to demand. That's the quickest way to have an unhealthy life. To let the body rule. Often we, our will and our emotions and our mind are enslaved to our bodies. So the soul. I want to suggest this morning that the soul represents the whole person. And this is the way the Old Testament talked about it and the New Testament. It's synonymous with the person. Um, it's not just some random idea that people say there, how many souls were on board the plane that went down? In Acts chapter 27, verse 37, Paul is on a ship and Luke says, altogether there were 276 souls on board. Is that just a floaty bit that's going to go off somewhere? Or does that represent people, whole people? Our soul is what integrates our will our intentions, and our mind, our thoughts and feelings and values and conscience, and our body, our face, our body language, our actions, into a single life. A soul is made happy, a soul is made healthy when there is harmony between my will and my mind and my body and God's intent for my life. When I'm connected to God in all of those aspects through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. Now, sin always causes the disintegration of the soul. So we talk about that need for all those aspects to be integrated, but sin will always disintegrate that. If I harbour judgmental thoughts about you, in my will, my heart, my mind. But in my face, I contort my face to smile at you, while inside I feel all this other very awful stuff. Am I an integrated person? I'm disintegrated. And can you see how when you live your life like that constantly, the soul, who you are, is constantly disintegrated, and disintegration 
brings sickness. I could have a proud heart, greedy hands, lustful eyes. I could be everlastingly obsessed with myself. When my outward performance is constantly at odds with what's going on inside, I'm disintegrated. And I get sick. So what does the soul do? What does the soul do to survive when this is all going on? It's one word. Denial. Denial. The will works with the mind and says, how are we going to survive here? And the will says, I know what, mind. I'm going to make you move into denial so you don't actually comprehend the disintegration that's going on. So we live in denial. And again, that's just a fast track to a lack of health. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, I think that he's talking about the end result of living a life um, of not worshipping God, not coming under the blood of Christ by faith in him. We will forfeit our soul. We will go to an eternal separation. We will go to hell. We will not be with God forever. But I actually think Jesus is talking about also, if you chase after all these other things, if the will and the mind and the body are disintegrated, out of sync with each other and with God, what does it profit a man to gain all this stuff when your soul is not functioning the way it's meant to be? Now, I would put it to you. Have you seen that happen in famous people? You go, how could you possibly not be so happy? You've got everything. And you know the answer? Their soul is not integrated. They're not, they're not functioning the way they're meant to be with proper relationships with each other, with themselves. You know, the biggest relationship you'll ever have with your life is the person in the mirror, isn't it? But when you look in the mirror, that person has taught you more about your life than anyone else on the planet, apart from God. They're the one who keeps talking to you constantly. You know, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. We've got a really big job to talk back to our soul and say, you're this because God says you are. Amen. This is who you are. It's a bit of a different message today. Um, I encourage you to stay, stay with me and keep thinking about this because it's so profound, it's so important that we understand what, what is the soul because we're meant to have healthy souls. So our soul exists and it, it needs care and it needs integration. There's aspects of it. Let me just um, remind you, if you think the soul the real me is just something spiritual that sort of floats off to heaven. You've got to remember the end game of Christianity is not to float around bodiless. That's Buddhist. You cease to exist in Buddhism. You go to Nirvana. New Age is you, your spirit goes off and joins everything up and become one with God who is everything. It's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and ate fish. Hallelujah. You get to eat well-cooked fish in the new creation. We are not hanging around in heaven forever. Heaven and earth join together and there's a new earth. It's wonderfully real. It's a wonderful resurrected body. The earth is resurrected. That's why it's so important when you hear soul, it's not just some spiritual idea. It's me. I don't have a spiritual man over there that I polish up and bring to church. Everything comes. If I come up to preach, it's like, I've got to bring the whole of my soul. My whole body's up here in front of you. And so is yours. 
We're whole people. Our bodies matter. And when we start feeling like understanding the soul being an integrated person, suddenly we're like, oh, wow. So rest matters. Number three, rest is one of the great needs of the soul. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you, like a big bullock who has a yoke around the neck. And Jesus says, I'm like the old bullock who knows how to do it. Put the yoke around you and I'll guide you. So we'll be walking together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And what will you get? You'll get what you know you need. Rest for your soul. Psalm 23. Sometimes we don't remember these great portions of Scripture. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Why does he do that? He restores my soul. Your soul is something really significant. We've got to work out what it is. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Just before I left home to get married, I remember we had, my parents had this dog, Jasper. He was a medium schnauzer. Who were the dog lovers in this place? Nearly everybody. Um, medium schnauzer. Pretty big dog, like it's a solid dog. Anyway, it must be from something from the terrier family because it loves to chase stuff. And, and we used to be able to you know, save our legs and just give it a run out on the front yard with, at night with a torch. And you'd race the, the light around on the ground and Jasper would chase the dog. <laughs> just chase it. I remember this stuck in my mind um, when I was, I think, probably 21, 22, something like that. Um, I was just mucking around. I thought, oh, this is cool. And then I probably got a bit carried away and I just kept on going and going and going. And then I stopped and Jasper came over to me and I was filled with remorse because his heart looked like it was just fibrillating. It was just sort of going... Like, I thought, he's going to die. I have ruined him. And when I saw that picture, I thought, you know what? Some of us in this room... Our souls feel like Jasper on that night. Because our, our hearts are just, just going like that. And the worst thing is if they've been doing that for years. <clears throat> I had a guy come to church some years ago on pastoring, and he'd sort of known me from my 20s. He lives in Melbourne, a, a psychologist, and he came up when we started there at Carrying Bar. And so he knew he was a a son-in-law of, a, of an older person at the church. And so he was watching from afar our, our time at that church. And sort of 15 years in, he came up to me and he said, um, when's your next holiday? And I said, yeah, I'm not sure. And he said, that's a bad sign if you don't know when your next holiday is. And he said, I've been watching you for years. You're burning out. You need to take as much long service leave as you can take and take it as soon as you can. And um, we didn't do it for about a year. But it's interesting, when someone's trained, they can come up to another soul and say, you are not in good shape. Don't we need people to do that to us? Just to say, you okay? 
I'm not sure you're giving your soul the rest that you need. Did you ever know that the Bible says he gives his beloved sleep? It's a great one to claim when you've got insomnia, isn't it? Excuse me, Father, I'm sick of not sleeping. Can you please give me sleep? You said you'd give your beloved sleep, and I know I'm your beloved because I'm in Christ. So you've got to get over to your doctor and get the sleep apnea fixed up and you do some practical stuff. Because sleep matters, amen? Like it matters so much, not just on a physical level, but for our soul. God wants to lead us to green pastures so that our souls can rest. The Bible, Genesis, begins with the days of creation and says, first there was evening, then there was morning. The 24-hour cycle starts with evening, then morning. We work out of sleep, not the other way around. We're not meant to fall into bed at the end of a horribly long day, though many of us do, for sure, and working hard's great, but we're meant to see it as rest, sleep, work. And isn't sleep the most wonderful um, hymn of praise? You ever notice that? Find someone who's really wealthy and powerful and sneak up and, and, and watch them sleep. And watch them dribble. The most powerful woman on earth, the most powerful man on earth, when they sleep, they don't look great. And as they're sleeping, if they're snoring, they snore. You've got to listen carefully, but they, they snore like this. I am not sovereign. I am not sovereign. Because that's what happens when we sleep, hey. We sing... The song of praise that every human says, as we are fast asleep and someone else is running the universe who doesn't sleep, we say, I am not sovereign. I'm just really tired. And I desperately need to sleep. I hope you're driving, Dad. Sleep is so required. Can I encourage you that for the health of our souls, we need sleep. And sleep reminds us on a regular basis, that the outcomes of the world do not rest on Atlas's shoulder, because I'm not Atlas. I'm not carrying the world. Jesus carries the world. And when I can let go and you can let go of the outcomes, we can find the peace that Jesus promises us. See, if I hold on to the outcomes, I'm constantly like, oh, I've I've got to stop and think, can I, as a preacher, can I change you guys? Not at all. Have no, I have no power to do that. All I can do is prepare well, try to preach the Bible, and then give it over to God. Give it over to God. The outcome... When we're parenting, we do our best. And then what do we do after that? We get, take the outcome and we say, God, I just hope you... There it is. I'm giving the outcomes over to God. Here are the outcomes, God... I am going to rest in you because I just by faith believe that you're sovereign, you know what you're doing. Just keep on guiding me. Tell me what to do. How's the health of your soul? We need sleep. We need rest. And finally, let me suggest care, integration, rest and ballast. Ballast. We need weight. We need weight in our souls. We need a grounding. I love this passage in Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus died on the cross so that he could pay the penalty for our sin and then send the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we could be guided and shown how to live a life that honours God. We are saved not just from eternal punishment in Christ, but we're saved from the effect of sin now. It's not about getting into heaven when you die only. It's about getting heaven into you before you die. Amen? That's salvation. It's just, it's not, it's not the Sermon on the Mount if we go, oh, life's so hard. I've got no integration and peace in my soul, but I think my soul's going to heaven. Well, yeah, that's half of it. But it's meant to be, no, no, there's a peace. There's something that Peter could call on those who were giving their lives for Christ. These guys in the early church are getting ripped apart by wild animals. And Peter says, hang in there, hang in there. Even now, even now there's a peace that transcends all understanding for you as you line up in the Colosseum ready to be torn apart by wild animals. There is a peace for you. You will receive salvation both now and eternally. The Bible says the soul that sins must die. Our our souls require saving spiritually. We cannot play that down. And if you're here this morning and, and you are not found in Christ, you do not know for sure that Christ has paid for your sin. I implore you to do your business with God and confess your sin to him. Say, I am a soul who has sinned and I deserve punishment. Would you have mercy on me? I understand that you made a way. You sent your son to die for me on the cross. Would you please forgive me? That's that's what we're asked to do. And if you will do that, your soul will be saved. Ballast. Ballast is the weight that goes in the keel. Ballast in the base of the ship. The ballast holds the ship upright in the worst of storms. Hallelujah for ballast in our lives. Amen. When we know God, when we know that we are saved, that our souls are secure, sealed at rest for eternity, then no matter what, when we have that weight and the waves come towards us and our family, 
we can say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. There is an enormous complexity going on in this room in our souls, in our will, in our mind, in our emotion, in our bodies. Some of us will feel it in our bodies. Like, whoa, what do I do with this? I wonder if we could listen to this beautiful version of It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, once again, for the second time, John Piper has a little preach in there for a minute. And I think he's encouraging. So would you take this time to allow God to speak to you? And then uh, after this, we're going to finish by singing the doxology together.